1: Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting in a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga. So, for the, um, we're wondering if seniors, maybe you're unhappy with your college coach for this fall and so are maybe considering transferring. If so, then you're definitely going to want to listen to segment two when I chat with Ryan Kelly about the pluses and minuses of starting college with the intent to transfer. Ryan Kelly is new to college coach having previously worked at institutions like Colorado University at Boulder and Fordham. So we're really pleased to have him. And then for our last segment, we'll be talking with Beth Feinberg Keenan, one of our college finance experts about how to pay for graduate and professional degrees. But first I'm really pleased to welcome Cameron Vigliotti I think I said his name right. He'll correct me. Migliotti, actually, sorry. A physical therapist here in Fairfield County with Motion Physical Therapy. Um, We get so much interest from students in uh, in becoming a physical therapist, and I thought it would be a great thing to have one on to discuss his pathway and what he looks for when he hires, as well as aspects of his experience. So welcome, Cam. Thank you,
2: Sally. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate uh, getting the time to talk with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is huge, huge interest in physical therapy. And uh, other than the fact that I go to physical therapy, I don't know that much about the experience, although I can certainly see why it's appealing to students. But like one of the things that happens a lot um, when I'm talking to students about it is that, you know, they're an athlete. Right. And, And they're like, yeah, I was thinking I'll be a physical therapist. And I'm like, okay, do you like science? do you want to go to graduate school? And they're like, no, and (laughs) no, (laughs) like, okay, this is actually a pretty long degree program. So why don't we, why don't we kind of dig into this? Like, why don't we, if you were talking to a high school student, right. Um, who said, Oh, I really like want to be a physical therapist. What are some of the things that you would tell him or her?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think in general, you know, that is the, thing that people think of that they're going to become a physical therapist and treat, you know, the New York Yankees and uh, the Boston Red Sox and people like that. And you very well may, Um, Mm -hmm. but the reality is you probably will not. Um, So majority of our caseloads here in an outpatient uh, setting, is we treat across the lifespan. So I can see uh, you know, a six-year-old with a broken arm, mm-hmm. one half an hour. And then I might see you know, an 88-year-old with a broken arm the next half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, in the mix of that, there definitely are some young, you know, younger athletes who we'll take care of from time to time. But I'd say predominantly the people utilizing our services are people over 50. Um, and and they need, you know, just as much care as that 18 year old who tore their ACL or something like that. Um, so that's definitely, could be like a little bit of a misconception centered around the field. And, um, you know, definitely science is going to be a major contributor. You need to be strong in your sciences and have a desire to want to learn in that area to be successful as a physical therapist. Um, you know, there are, you know, I I don't think I took a ton of English courses and things like that. I didn't write a ton of papers, Mm -hmm. uh, but I had to sit for a lot of exams and memorize different things in relation to pathophysiology and the general sciences and and take exams and pass those exams to basically get where I am today. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not so much heavy on, literature and you know, but it is definitely a lot of exams.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you got to be good at memorization at a kind of a baseline. Um, So what kind of, I mean, I know that there are some direct paths to physical therapy, but it's not what everybody does. Um, You know, like what was the path that you took? What was your undergraduate major? Um, That kind of thing.
2: Yeah. So there's a variety of ways that you can get to um, you know, sit for your national board to become a physical therapist. In my case, uh, I got I went to Boston University and got a Bachelor's of Science in Athletic Training, um, which is probably what some of uh, the students you're referencing are thinking of. You know, mm-hmm. the people that run out on the on the field at the New York Giants football game and assess injuries and stuff like that. So that was my undergraduate degree. Uh, but for f- to become a physical therapist, basically what that got me is set me on my curriculum to apply to PT school. So it made sure I took the right biologies, the right chemistries, the right physics, you know, all the right courses to basically uh, meet the requirements to apply for PT school. Uh, The other common um, undergraduate degrees that you'll see people applying to PT school in is exercise science, psychology, psychology. Uh, some universities have just like health sciences. But as long as the degree uh, you know gets you your prerequisites to apply to PT school, it doesn't really matter. I think actually my boss, um, I believe he went to Sacred Heart University where I got my doctoral degree, my graduate degree. He went there for his whole time, I believe. And I think he was an art and illustrations major. Okay. So he didn't, you know, it just showed you that he... He went a different way once he really kind of got into the field. And, and so, it just make sure you have to take those certain prerequisites. But really, you can have any. But it's usually a Bachelor of Science of some kind.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, it's really like medical school. I mean, to be, you mm-hmm. can be pre-med and be a history major or something like that. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing I want to highlight that you said is that it's not just biology classes, anatomy, physiology that are prerequisites, but you needed, you mentioned physics and chemistry. Yeah. Because I imagine those are the most challenging for some of the students.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. So there is, um, I think, again, in my curriculum at Boston University, I think I took four different chemistry courses. Um, I took two or three physics courses, biomechanics courses. A lot of gross anatomy, you know, but the major sciences, and we also take, I think, three or four psychology courses. Mm -hmm. Um, You're pretty much hitting most of the major sciences if you're doing really anything in the health related field, whether it's nursing, physical therapy, becoming a doctor, um, Mm -hmm. whatever it is.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, I always want to underline that because it's sure. very disappointing for some of my students when I tell them that. So um, so it sounds like if you don't figure out that you want it until after you graduate from college, that's okay too because you could probably take the prerequisites kind of after the fact if you need to. So
2: uh, the place that I currently work, um, a lot of our part-time employees are just of that. They went to college. They weren't really sure what they wanted to do. They got some form of a a degree and they decided later on. So they're working for us while they're, you know, going back to whether it's a community college or a local university here to kind of get those prerequisites done to be able to apply for the doctoral programs. But it's much easier if you decide at 18 or 19 that this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, And you take them while you're at your four-year university. So in my case, I started my doctoral education when I was 22 and I was a, doctorate of physical therapy by the time I was
1: 25.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't take any breaks.
1: Right. And then the, one of the pathways, if you do know at age 18 is there are some schools that have these direct pathways where you can shave a year off, right? Yes,
2: exactly. So most of the major universities are um, at least, you know, that have been around for a while, offer these accelerated programs. So Mm -hmm. they're called the three plus three option and you can, um, Perform your education in six years, you come out ready to sit for your national exams, but you pretty much do undergraduate in three years Mm -hmm. and graduate school in uh, the last three years. The only drawback is when you're uh, a senior, you're in your first year of graduate school and your friends are probably seniors in college and, you know, getting to enjoy being a senior and you might be in the thick of, you know, Mm -hmm. studying.
1: Yeah. I think it's important to know that that's not a pathway for everyone because not everybody really does know. And, um, so as much as going the longer route costs a little more money, et cetera, which is not nothing. You're also probably more sure that this is what you want to do.
2: In my case, I did the four plus three, but my good buddy, uh, my college roommate did three plus three and, uh, we were both successful in our pathways.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So let's, let's kind of, um, back up then and say, like, who gets hired? Like, what are kind of the skill sets? Because everybody knows, okay, so you need to be good at science, right? Now we've sure. established that. But what are what are other skill sets that you're looking for if you're hiring someone? Is it the school that they attend in? Or is it other things?
2: Sure. Good question. Um, so I hire a fair amount of physical therapists every year. Um, and although you know, you'd know, you like to think, or personally as, as a hiring manager, I don't always really look at what university they went to, unless I have some sort of a connection that I knew a professor or I went mm-hmm. there myself. Um, really for me, it's, did that university allow them to sit for their national boards and pass their national boards? Because if you went to the number one PT school in the country, but you could not pass your national board examination, then you can't be a physical therapist for me because you didn't get a license. Mm -hmm. So really the university, you know, obviously we want you to, you know, come from a reputable university that you had a good experience with, but as someone that hires people, I don't pay attention as closely to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the things I primarily pay attention to is, um, you know, your personality and your communication style. You know, the thought is that you'd have learned a lot of the nuts and bolts of what you're doing during during your schooling. Um, A lot of times, you know, my company, we spend 18 months mentoring uh, new graduates that come in to kind of hopefully build and mold them into the therapists that we we want them to become. Mm -hmm. Um, So the reality is, I think a lot of times we can kind of guide the therapist to doing the manual techniques the way that Mm -hmm. we want them to do it but a lot of times we can't teach that communication. We can't teach your personality. So I'm looking for people that can communicate well with people that of all different ages and races and backgrounds um, and have a nice calm demeanor and, you know, can multitask and can work in sometimes a stressful environment without losing their cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and some physical therapists are great at that. then I have someone that knows every inch of the book, but you ask them to say hello to a patient, and it's very strange and awkward, and I'm usually not hiring them, yeah um, you know.
1: in all honesty um, the last physical therapist I went to before you um the reason I left is because they would give me something to do and then sit on the phone sure and yeah. and I was like why am I paying you? You can just give me a list of exercises. You know, you're supposed to be observing and
2: yeah. And, and, and that's it was a really common complaint that people yeah. get that we'll, we'll hear that they that they left somewhere and came to us and someone either sat on their computer or, or no one paid attention to them. Um, so really that's how we're touching people. We're touching from showing them this exercise, but it's really getting to know them and, and helping mm-hmm. them. And really more times than not, you know, the patient's going to remember that they felt better if they, enjoyed working with the therapist
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right and I think that's important because I think students do forget about the soft skills so yeah. you know in some ways good preparation might be like being a hostess at a pizzeria sure. right you Definitely. Gotta talk, like I mean and I look
2: at for that on resumes all the time did they work in college what did they have things that they were you know other areas where they could attribute those skills to being a PT um, I, I, I like that. So if someone puts on the resume, oh, I worked at a pizzeria as, you know, the checkout person for four years throughout college, that's a plus for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think let's let's go now and kind of wrap up by talking about pros and cons. My sense is that you really enjoy your job, which I think is great. Um, and then but, you know, what what are any cons that people should be aware of?
2: Sure. So. I think the major, I, I say this to my wife, you know, at least a couple times a month. Um, the pro is that, you know, I think most of us love our jobs. We get to come into a fun env- environment where everyone's, you know, we're talking sports, listening to music, helping people, you know, we're not sitting at a desk all day. This is probably the most I'll sit at a desk all day today is to do this um, podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'd say the cons are or potential cons, depending on the, you know, the, the, environment you have behind you going into different types of universities um, is most of us take on a fair amount of debt uh, to get into this profession, um, whether it be from undergraduate school. um, But a lot of us take most of it on from doing that three years of graduate school. And you can make a, a nice living doing this. Like we're, we're living comfortably the salaries that we get paid and we're doing But we are not millionaires. Um, we're not, you know, taking home large sums of, of money each year uh, that we're buying yachts and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, you are dealing with the debt um, that, that you've accrued from, from the universities that you went to. So if you do decide to go down this path, be smart. While you're, you know, if you have to take debt, you know, try to minimize it as much as you can. Maybe work that part-time job to take out a little less money, because in the reality, in the end, you are going to pay it back at some point. And um, the faster you can pay it back, the better. Um, I'm 35 years old, and I've been paying it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll continue to pay it, um, hopefully soon enough to that when my daughter goes to college that I <laughs> won't have any more and I can help her take on some debt. Like- but, um, <laughs> exactly. So that's, that's the biggest con. Um, the other cons that people deliver sometimes, you know, choosing your employer. If you, if you uh, choose an employer that, you know, wants you to see uh, 25 patients in an eight hour day, you can get burned out really quickly. Our job at, you know, our company at Motion PT Group is we really stress that you see 12 patients a day in an AR. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you're seeing patient for probably about 40 minutes with each patient. And Sally can attest to that, the time Mm -hmm. I spent with her. Mm -hmm. Um, We're allowing you to have that hopefully positive effect on your patient's life. Um, So that's what, beware, if you do get into this field, you know, depending on your employer, you really want to ask those questions. How much time do I get to spend with each patient? You know, do I get to provide quality care?
1: Hmm. All right. Great. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you
2: guys. I appreciate the time.
1: Okay. All right. We're going to be taking a break now, but uh, we'll be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We now have Ryan Kelly, who is a brand new, um, well, I know you worked sort of part-time for us before, but it's pretty brand new to College Coach, so we're really happy to have him here.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: All right. So the topic today is we wanted to kind of, you know, this this happens more often than you would think sort of students who maybe they didn't get into their first choice college and they got into some great colleges, but they choose one and they're like, but I'm transferring because this isn't a good school or whatever, whatever the reason might be, even though it is a good school, um, you know, they go into college with the intent to then transfer to their first choice, um, college or university. So we just wanted to kind of go through like, is this a good idea? What are the pros and cons? Um, I mean, what's your overall feeling about this, Ryan? Um, I don't think it's a good
3: or bad idea. I think there's a lot of nuance that's involved in it. and, And sometimes students, oftentimes put the cart before the horse. They just only are looking at the end game and that end game is someplace different than where they're at currently. And they miss a lot of opportunities that might be right in front of them that are advantageous to them academically and personally, because they can only see the, the end, the next step. And they're very methodical about achieving that goal, which is fine. And there's nothing wrong with that, but is oftentimes the lost opportunity for a more enhanced education, more robust personal relationships with friends and professors. So it does, I do worry that sometimes students have a hard time seeing the forest or the trees when when their end game is to go to another institution from, from day one.
1: Yeah, they really don't, in that situation, they don't invest themselves in their current college, which is a place that they might be really happy at. And I'll just note, by the way, that obviously if you're at a community college, the full intent is to transfer. Um, But even there, I think students then don't realize that they should invest themselves while they're at the community college in the community college. So, yeah. So what are, like, what are some of the things that... um, you might be missing out on, like you kind of alluded to some of them, but what are some of the things that students, even if they think they're gonna transfer or know they're gonna transfer, should be sure to invest themselves in at their current school?
3: Yeah, I mentioned relationship building. Um, A lot of people think, oh, I'm gonna go to college and, and meet friends. And yes, absolutely, that is very important. Um, but sometimes those relationships are the professors and staff members that are part of the college experience that are there to assist you in your education and your personal growth as well. There's a lot about a college experience that extends outside the classroom setting. And I've seen enough students where they, they miss out on those because they just want to take a specific prerequisite to get into that new school a calculus course, whatever it happens to be. And they don't realize that the professors are there to assist them in their education and they might get a good grade, but did they really get the full advantage of the course that they were enrolled in? Um, And then oftentimes they may not self-isolate, but may not take full advantage of clubs and organizations and internships or whatever other activities are happening outside the classroom to meet these new people that help them grow as a person and can challenge them in the classroom as well. And it just, it seems like a missed opportunity where they could have furthered their own personal and academic horizons because they were so focused on something else. And and then unfortunately that can actually result in them being unhappy and you know, more so than they already thought they were going to be. So it kind of becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I told you I wasn't going to be happy here, but with they just reach out to those that are eager to see them be successful at their current institution, it could even potentially help them transfer in the long run, but also it just makes that time that they're there at their current school, that more useful, that much more beneficial to them um, and a much more pleasant experience for that time that they are there.
1: Mm hmm. And it'll help them do better, I think, at the school that they transfer to if they do end up transferring, because they will have learned a lot from that first experience. I, I worked with a student who really wasn't happy at his first um, college, not because he thought he was going to transfer, but it just turned out to not be a fit. And but he still invested himself like he still like pursued the things that were a fit for him. And he actually told me once he transferred that he didn't regret that he'd gone there at all because he learned so much about what he liked and what he didn't like and what he needed in a community. And I just thought, how wonderful is that?
3: Yeah, and that that can oftentimes confirm that the other institution is, in fact, a better fit for you for whatever reason, that growth and and confirmation that you received in your first institution, it's a valuable experience. Um, and taking advantage of all those opportunities is is going to benefit you short-term and long-term.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and then partially, of course, you need to invest yourself because you also might not get it. Right. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I've talked sometimes to Um, I talked to this one father who said um, his son had not gotten into a particular, his top choice, which was a state school, because he honestly just didn't have the grades and the father fully acknowledged that in high school. Mm -hmm. So what he had done, though, is he went off to college, but he uh, somewhere else, but he still wasn't doing that well. And he just kept applying every semester and he kept not getting in. And I said, honestly, your son is not helping himself. It's not actually The colleges are not, you know, having worked at University of Chicago, like we would see students that came back again and again and again. And if nothing had changed, they weren't going to get in. And the father said, oh, well, we thought we were showing them how much we wanted them. And I'm like, that's not meaningful unless there's also been a concurrent improvement. Right. With, you know, like your son needs to invest himself where he is now, Um, so that is the other thing to think about, like what kinds of things do you counsel students on, you know, if they don't get in?
3: Yeah. And that's a good point. I've seen that too, at some of the institutions I've worked at, or they, they're trying to demonstrate interest by multiple applications, but they're lacking the substance of, you know, academic performance involvement. So all the other parts of the application that are important and sure. Sometimes they apply multiple times and it doesn't work out, but what about the kid who Applies once and it doesn't work out, and then they have to go back to their original institution. What is that environment going to look like for them? Uh, you know, did they maybe not burn bridges, but maybe they didn't build those connections that they can come back to, where they have a friend network, they have professors there that they know. Um, so did they kind of sell themselves short? They were hoping to to move on, but now that they Aren't for whatever reason, what does their situation look that look like at their first institution? And that can be even worse. You know, it's a lot of those strong friendships that are created occur because of shared experience of going from high school to college your freshman year, and you meet a lot of people who are going through similar experiences. Now that you're a second-year student. That makes it a much harder process to get into a friendship group of well-established friends and, you know, just kind of, it puts you back a step a little bit if you aren't fully invested in that first institution when things sometimes don't work out of the intended institution.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually even seen a friend of mine at college, she just wasn't sure that our college was the right place for her, sure. but she nonetheless tried out for a play and was in a play. And she did things, and then she did initially try and transfer. But then when she got in, she was like, "You know what? No, I, I'm actually I like it here now. Yeah. This is actually the right place for me." Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that was so great. Like she had this out. She got into. She didn't apply to a ton of institutions, you know, but she applied to this one that she thought was the right one for her, and then she said, "You know what? I'm." I'm good here. I'm involved in the theater department, which I love. Like I'm able to do X, Y, Z. Like she had really, you know, made the place work beautifully for her and decided not to leave.
3: And I love stories like that because I've seen so many students who are just um, in the opposite end of that spectrum where they thought it was a good fit to start. And then for whatever reason it isn't, and they can't get out of there fast enough. I like hearing those stories of, I didn't think it was a good fit but I actively involved myself in campus. And it turns out this is a great institution for me academically and personally. And that confirmation of, I thought I wanted to go someplace else, but the community and the friends I've made here have confirmed that that initial thought was not accurate. Um, doesn't mean it was wrong, but here's a place that I now have been at for a year, and I feel very comfortable. And mm-hmm. starting all over at another school would would not be useful to me at this point. So that confirmation that this school, although not what I thought it was going to be, ended up being great. Mm-hmm. I love it. that's mm-hmm. uh, that's a, a feel good story with a happy
1: ending. Yeah, no, and absolutely, and of course, I was grateful she stayed. I mean, I sure. wanted her to do what was right for her, but yay, my friend was still there. You <laughs> know, so so I was really pleased about it. So, I mean, the other thing too, this is kind of a cautionary tale that I I try and tell to all students who think that a particular institution is going to be perfect for them. It's like they think it'll solve all their problems. Um, When I was a transfer counselor at Reed, you know, at Reed College in Portland, Oregon, we had a reputation that in some ways was well-founded and in other ways wasn't as kind of an alternative institution. So I would say our student body was alternative and and quite liberal and a little eccentric, but our education was actually like really based around kind of traditional in a lot of ways, right? So people didn't always realize that. So I'd, I'd get these transfers who would not have a great grades. And I would say, well, you need get good grades (laughs) and they were like, well, when I come to Reed, it'll be so fantastic that I will get good grades. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Even at Reed, you have to turn in your papers and you might not enjoy all those papers. You have to do your work. And, you know, sometimes you're not going to like your professors. That's going to happen at your top choice school as well. And it was just kind of an interesting thing, like trying to talk to students about the fact that being a student means sometimes doing things that they're not going to love. And that's going to be the case, even at the institution that they think is perfect for them. It's not going to, they're not going to be happy all the time.
3: <laughs> yep. The grass is not always greener on the other side. And, and sometimes it's, it's not as bad, you know, sometimes it's, it's really, really good, but mm-hmm. yeah, the, you know, transferring schools does not remove all problems from life. It, some, sometimes just redirects them or changes them, but I've worked with enough students who have come to their quote unquote dream school. And, and it was a very good fit, but it wasn't, the dream was not the reality. So,
1: mm-hmm. um,
3: they had those tough professors or, or people who, you know, rubbed them the wrong way or whatever it happened to be. But, um, yeah, so there's a right and wrong time to transfer and a right and wrong way to go about that process. But, um, You know, you don't want to, I just don't like to see students um, not taking advantage of their current situation, whatever it is, even if it's not 100% perfect.
1: Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the logistical challenges that can happen too. Like if you're a transfer to a new institution, um, what are some of the things that you might face that you might not be, a student might not be aware of? Um-
3: So one thing that I
1: have found for
3: students is um, there's two. There's the social aspect, uh, specifically the living situation, and then um, there is the academic aspect, specifically um, the transfer credit process. So a lot of students um, just assume that I've got these 30 credits. They're you know they're from a good school, I'm going to a good school they'll mm-hmm. train. And a lot of times they don't. Um, and that can cost time, energy, money, um, give you great annoyance, you know, delay your overall academic degree process. And that can be frustrating and, and make for a rough transition. And then sometimes um, the the housing situation, You know, they think they'll just go into the normal housing residence halls, but some schools have students living with other transfer students and you know, living in apartments or residence halls that are maybe off campus or not as convenient as they would have hoped. And it can make for a bit of a rougher transition as well. Some schools are a lot better at helping transfer students and some are are not all that accommodating. So that that can um, prohibit the student from hitting the ground running as smoothly as they would have hoped. Um, and there's there can be some logistical challenges in and out of the classroom. And then the other thing is, is usually students are looking to transfer to a, quote, better school. And mm-hmm. sometimes those better schools are a lot more academically rigorous. And are you prepared for that?
4: I'm not mm-hmm. saying that
3: you aren't, but, you know, when the students are stronger in the classroom and expecting more of you and your professors are expecting more of you, that can be unexpected and challenging and and cause some issues. But yeah, a lot of times that personal transition of not knowing anybody, not particularly caring for your housing situation, trying to find housing in short term, especially if you're transferring in the springtime or something, um, there's a lot of little headaches that can pop up that just make the process a bit more complex for for students.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one last thing I'll throw in is that um, when I worked at Whittier, we had pretty significant merit scholarships for first-year mm-hmm. students. Yep. The transfers did not get the same level of scholarship. Absolutely. So, that's, that's something else to think about if you're leaving an institution where you have a big scholarship. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think, um, yeah, I think we've covered it. Thank you so much, Ryan.
3: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: All right. We'll be back in just a minute. Stick around, everybody.
0: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help.
4: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to Gettingin.voiceamerica@gmail.com. at gmail.com
1: now back to the show hello everyone this is sally ganga and i'm back now with beth feinberg keenan she is a uh, bright horizons college coach veteran um thanks so much for coming on the show beth
4: thanks sally so much for having me all right so today we are talking
1: about some ways that students can pay for advanced degrees Um, so what are some of the ways that they can do that? Let's just kind of dive into it.
4: Great. So I think that, you know, one of the more common ways that a number of graduate students do pay for advanced degrees is by borrowing and the ability to finance an advanced degree. The amount that they can borrow goes up considerably from when they were getting their undergraduate degree. So Graduate students can borrow a maximum of $20,500 a year through the Federal Direct Unsubsidized Student Loan Program. And if somebody's looking to go get a medical degree, um, they can actually borrow up to $40,500 a year. So even more than, you know, just a mm-hmm. traditional graduate degree. So we'll say like a history degree or mm-hmm. um in English degree. And if that's not enough, you know, if that $20,500 or that $40,500 doesn't um, pay the bill that's owed to the school, minus any other types of financial assistance that's offered to um, the student, they can borrow additional funds through private loans, they could borrow additional funds through another federal loan called a direct plus loan. So believe it or not, uh, there's plenty of money I was going to say in terms of Financing options for, for you know those individuals who are looking to get an advanced degree, whether it be a you know a master's, a PhD, or some type of professional degree.
1: Mm-hmm. So basically, I think it's probably important for people to know that there is less funding than there is for undergraduates. Like it really comes down to loans in a lot of cases. Is that how I'm understanding you correctly?
4: In a lot of cases, you're right. I was going to say it does come down to loans. There are scholarship opportunities out there for. You know, for graduate school and for advanced degrees, but I think it's a lot harder to find those and a lot harder to secure those. Mm-hmm. It's something that's really important to um, understand too, is especially if you're looking for scholarship opportunities outside of the college. It takes time and it takes planning. Um, Many times when I've spoken with individuals who are looking to get an advanced degree, it's like, okay, when do you want to start? And it's like, oh, I want to start like three months from now. I want to start, Mm -hmm. you know, six months months from now. Mm -hmm. And that's great, you know, because often they can get into, you know, graduate schools, you know, very quickly. They might have, you know, many start dates, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to secure scholarship or grant assistance to, uh, match when they want to start. So if it is important that a student gets some type of external funding, you know, kind of partner that, you know, with the timing, you know, think about, well, when do you want to start? Because you should start probably start to think about six months to a year before that of like, what type of external funding is available? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my experience, you know, many, you know, graduate schools do have some funding uh, if they offer grant funds Uh, based on need. I've seen that, you know, some law schools offer need-based grants. I've seen that some medical schools offer some type of need-based grant funds. But it's important for students to understand that many times parental information might be required. And graduate students are like, hey, wait, I thought now that I'm in a graduate school, like I don't have to provide any parent information. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at like a 20-something-year-old who's not working, I mean, you all, as I say, they all look exactly the same that they, mm-hmm. they have, you know, little to no income if they're, you know, single individual. so what they look at is they look at the parents and they look at the parents' ability to pay, whether they're supporting the student or not. And that's going to factor in if schools are offering any type of need-based grant funds to to that student. And then there's scholarships. I mean, mm. some schools also offer scholarships, scholarships. Um, They are fairly limited in my experience of what type of scholarship assistance is available to, you know, graduate professional schools, uh, students, and some schools might also offer assistantships. And that's an opportunity where a student could teach, um, maybe do some type of research in their field and get uh, all of their tuition, if not a portion of their tuition covered, and potentially uh, maybe a stipend to go along with that tuition benefit that they're getting from the school, too.
1: Mhm. Yeah, it really does depend on the program. I mean, my my brother my brother is a physicist and so um, you know, who went to Princeton. So he didn't have to pay. Right. But like when I went to Fairfield, I used my employer benefit and I definitely didn't get anything from Fairfield for my program in industrial or organizational psychology. So I think, you know, that is probably something to be aware of. But it seems like in the majority of cases, you're not going to get that kind of a full ride stipend sort of thing. That's a pretty elite situation, I would imagine.
4: It is, you know, same thing, you know, when I worked at Northeastern, I worked for a number of years in uh, the graduate aid office. So I worked with graduate students and law mm-hmm. students and the assistantships and the scholarship, and, you know, were not being offered by the financial aid office. Mm-hmm. Students were having to actually, these were these were offered directly by the departments. Mm-hmm. So while you think of like the undergraduate process that is offered at the time that students are admitted to the school and by the admissions office. That's not so the case with the graduate population. It's more along the lines of that, the departments are making those decisions in what they have for external funding, what they have for any type of assistantship opportunities uh, for students to be able to offset some of their costs. But in turn, there is some type of work obligation that the student has to do in order to receive that type of funding.
1: Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, if they want to teach is not necessarily a bad thing because it's experience, but you are already busy and you'll be even busier, (laughs) basically. So. um, So how do they go about getting applying for those kinds of assistantships and fellowships?
4: So in terms of assistantships, they should be in contact with the college, you know, talking with the department that they're going to be studying within, uh, checking with the admissions office to see if there's even assistantship or fellowship opportunities at the institution to see, you know, what the process is, uh, be prepared that they're going to have, you know, be prepared to fill out an application because mm-hmm. there's typically a very extensive application that individuals are going to be required to fill out. Um, they also need to be able to profile, like, what is the benefit? Like, what are they as an individual bringing to that institution? What is their selling factor? Because, Many of these programs are, you know, very selective already, and so if the program is selective to be able to get that type of funding and an assistantship, is even more so selective. Uh, many of these also come come with interviews, so you know, just be prepared that you're going to have to really, you know, sell yourself um, not only to the institution to accept you, but also to the institution to offer you this type of um, opportunity. Fellowships, on the other hand, are sometimes offered by the institution, but there's also a number of different outside organizations that offer fellowships. Um, There are two really good websites that I have used and worked with um, individuals. UCLA and Cornell have some databases for fellowship opportunities where students can actually use those databases. They don't have to be going to UCLA. They don't have to be going to Cornell but they have an extensive list of fellowship opportunities that are out there available for students to research and to explore. Uh, But fellowships can be offered by government agencies. Um, They can be offered by organizations. And again, it's going to be a competitive application process that um, students need to make sure that they're ready to undertake. The other thing that I also wanna mention with fellowships is many of these fellowships could also be one year. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get a fellowship like your, your first year of, of, of college, first year of your graduate school, uh, don't fret. Um, I would encourage them just to continue looking. I had a cousin who went to um, NYU to, uh, to law school. And I remember when she was going through that process of looking at fellowships and she didn't get anything her first year of law school, but she was able to secure a fellowship for her second, second and third year of law school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are opportunities that uh, individuals might find. That they're not able to secure when they're entering into a uh, graduate uh, graduate degree.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually have a number of friends who went to graduate school, and most of them, it did seem like by their second year, were able to get fellowships. You know, if they were in PhD programs, yeah. anyway. Um, are there any other avenues where they can sur- They can um, find discounts for their degrees that we haven't <laughs> gone over yet.
4: <laughs> uh, that's a great question. There are actually some additional avenues where they can get discounts. Um, if they went to a certain school for their undergraduate degree, um, I have found that some schools, if you've graduated maybe within the past three years, if you've graduated within the past five years, might provide some type of discount for to encourage their alumni to come back to get an advanced degree. Mm-hmm. I know that I mentioned I worked at Northeastern I have my, as I say, my advanced degree is from there, but not you know, necessarily, you know, in this sense of, you know, I got my, ba- I didn't get my bachelor's there, but they offered something called the double husky. So if you go back and get your advanced degree there, there, there's a discount given to individuals looking to further their education. Mm-hmm. The other place as I think is also another great resource is everybody doesn't go back to graduate school full time. And many will be working mm-hmm. and getting their advanced degree. So check with your employer. Mm-hmm. Um, see if your employer offers any type of tuition benefit mm-hmm. where you can get some type of assistance to put towards your degree. It might take you a little bit longer to get your your master's, your PhD, uh, even a professional degree. But You know, if you can get some type of savings, maybe $5,000 if that's what your employer offers or maybe even more, then it's money that you don't have to come up with and pay out of pocket.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to school as part time as I could. I mean, it literally it took me six years to get a two year degree. That was six years was the outside of what they allowed. But that way I never had to take, um, you know, I was able to work the entire time. And, uh, you know, minimize doing it during our busy season. So and yeah, college coach Bright Horizons paid for a solid yeah. chunk of it. And I remain right. grateful for that. You know, it meant that I could just write the check for the rest of it. You know, it was uh, I did not have to take out loans, uh, which was a pretty amazing opportunity. So thank you to Bright Horizons. You know,
4: <laughs> I mean, you're right. You're so right. You know, you know, Sally, when you talk about that, because, you know, as you mentioned, it took you six years but that was six years times, you know, how much you know Bright Horizons offered to you. Mm-hmm. And that that could be pretty substantial. Mm-hmm. So individuals, if they are working, they should definitely think about like kind of like what their goal is also. Like, is it okay? Like, do you need to complete your degree in two years or three years? Or are you okay stretching it out to like, you know, four or five years and maximizing mm-hmm. your tuition benefit?
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it'll work for some people, not for others. For me, it worked great. <laughs> Although by the last semester, my professor was like, are you finally <laughs> going to be graduating? You know? So he was like, he kept joking with me, but it was totally fine. So all um, right. So so we've talked a little bit about differences between part time versus full time. Um are there any other differences? I mean, other than that you can, you know, maybe get benefits from your employer. Are there, dif- is, are there differences in the kind of aid a student can get from the institution?
4: That's a great question, Sally, because I think that's so important. Uh, many of the scholarships and grant assistance that's offered by colleges, as well as assistantships, are offered only to full-time students. So typically mm-hmm. that's nine credits or above. So if you are hoping to get some type of assistance from the college or university that you're going to be attending, keep in mind that you do need to be enrolled full-time because Mm -hmm. most schools don't offer any type of gift assistance uh, to students who are attending Mm part-time.
1: All right, and so we just have a few minutes left. So I wanted to ask the question whether people could negotiate grad school awards just like you can in undergrad. I think it's good for people to know that if this might be an option for them.
4: Sally, that's a great question you know in my experience when i worked at a, you know when i worked at an institution we didn't we did not negotiate any type of gift assistance to mm-hmm. to students and many of my colleagues expressed the same thing to institutions that they worked at they didn't get any type they didn't negotiate any type of gift assistance to students that was offered to them like this is what you got and this is like you're going to come or you're not going to come but on the flip side you know a couple of my friends have shared with me that you know hey they got accepted to graduate programs and they went back to the graduate school and said, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to attend. This is too expensive for me. And in turn, the department um, came back and said, here's some money, you know, to, to attend our program. So I think the end of the story is, it's like, you know what? It doesn't hurt to ask. The -hmm. worst they're going to tell you is no, there is no gift assistance, but you won't know that um, unless you ask. And then Mm -hmm. you make your decision once you have like all the cards on the table. Mm -hmm. Does it work financially? Is it not a financial fit for you?
1: Right. Exactly. All
4: right. Well, thank you so much, Beth. Thank you so much for having me today. All
1: right. And thanks so much to Cameron and Ryan as well. Um, If you're interested in learning more about the Common Application Essay, by the way, Tune in for our July 1st show we'll be covering that among other topics. So there's always a good reason to tune in. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24 seven on the voice America website. And you can also download every show for free on iTunes. And Hey, if you listen to us on iTunes, please feel free to rate us. We want more people to be able to find us. Um, By the way, too, if you want to search for a particular show topic, you can go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. That's blog.getintocollege.com. You can look up a topic and it'll give you the link to Voice America and the video links. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific.